Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Sells Podcast. This is the podcast where a comedian talks to a relationship therapist slash sexologist about, uh, well, it's not even uh, gender, dating and relationships related. It's just everything about the modern <laughs> world from a uh, male, female perspective. Uh, this is the second podcast of 2022. Uh, I was looking at some of the stats just a, a week or so ago, and, and there's been a very steady growth rate throughout the duration of this uh, podcast. And I think this will be somewhere in the mid 70s. So we're you know we're not too far. We'll, we'll hopefully hit 100 this year. So it's been a it's been a great journey. Thank you, everyone. 100 uh, what? Keep 100 podcasts. We should hit 100 oh, yeah. sometime this year. So that's very exciting. Maybe that's we could do a live exciting. one or something. We can yes. do something special do for that. Do that virtual reality one you were talking about. Yeah, I mean, that's... <laughs> Probably uh, won't be around. I don't know if then. we'll have the technology for that just yet, but... Uh, <laughs> I a live one would be really That's going to be the cool. future. Virtual reality yeah. podcasts in the metaverse. Oh, don't start me on the metaverse. I reckon when that comes around, you and I are going to have completely opposite views on that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's already yeah. there. The the the, know. the you know the fledgling uh, aspects of the metaverse are there. People are buying digital yeah. real estate. But just before we get into that, uh, as always, this podcast sponsored by Crush Organic CBD oil. That's Crush with a K. CrushOrganics.com. Use the code Neil for forty percent off a huge range of CBD oil products. I'm really into the gummies now. Love those gummies every single day. Uh, helps alleviate stress, anxiety, and uh, it's um, great. I've been using it now for, you know, seven, eight months, and I can't recommend it enough. Go to crushorganics.com, use the code NEEL, N-E-E-L, for 40% off. Uh, if you have any questions, shout-outs, or topics, go to neilcolehatkercom slash podcasts, and if you live in Sydney or Melbourne, come see me live, neildan.com. Okay. The metaverse. Why why are we going to have different views about that, do you think? Well, we kind of mentioned on the last podcast where you said that it would be really ben- beneficial for you know, your industry where you can host shows and events in the metaverse. Well, you didn't say the metaverse. Well, I said, you I said, said that's reality, definitely the future. I made that connection future. myself. Uh, yeah. What did you yeah, say? Yeah, whether you it's got, beneficial or not, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. they're dropping out a bit yes. as well. Sorry, everyone. Connection's a bit shitty today. Um, but okay, I just think that we're back. Yes. <laughs> okay. We'll keep that, that in. Why not? Keep it raw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? Save bones. yourself the editing. Yeah. It's <laughs> a little bit of back and back and forth of us just repeating the same sentence each time together. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I have a lot of fear about that, um, about the impact that that will have on us. Um, because I feel like, you know, you're not going to put on your headset just to go to a show once an hour a day and leave it at that. I think that it's going to be a show and then it's going to be this talk and then it's going to be, you make friends there and then increasingly more and more time will be spent in the metaverse. And there are a lot of studies that show that online social interaction does not fulfill the human (laughs) and brain's needs for, you know, inter, uh, socialization as much as face-to-face does. So, I worry that we will use that instead to be like, instead of coming, you know, I live on the coast. Instead of driving up the coast, let's just meet in the metaverse for coffee with my sure. friends. But, oh, I don't know whether it's yeah. going to be a good thing or not, but I definitely think it is the future of yeah. uh, live events. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm just preparing. I'm trying to sort of think about that to eventually prepare for it. Yeah, whether it's going to yeah. be good or not, 
that remains to be seen. I mean, if they perfect the technology so much, it would almost be like we are socializing. If when you hug someone in the metaverse, you actually feel like you're having that hug and you get the same neurochemical response, then the argument, the, the, the philosophical argument can be made. Well, it, it, is that even separate from real life? At what point then do, if That's you're getting the same messy. effect and if you're getting the same uh, uh, experience, yeah. how can you actually separate that from real life? But Ooh, who the hell knows? And then that it's going to become very... Matrix and we won't even know the difference anymore. I think that for live events, I agree that it's positive. I think that's different. And I think it's more so about that kind of uh, vision that, you know, they're saying they have for you can work in the metaverse. You can be employed and get paid. You can do this where people are going to be spending 8, 10, 12 hours there a day. So how are you going to maintain your apartment in the real life or your home or your mortgage and things like that? Are you going to work for eight hours here and then go online for eight hours straight after work until you fall asleep? Is that what life is going to be? So <laughs> spooky. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's there's so much job insecurity now um, across the Western world that uh, something like a universal basic income, I'm assuming is inevitable unless it's probably not in the best interests of the uh, elites, I don't really like that term, mm. but we'll, we'll call them that for the purpose of this discussion. And I foresee a, a, a world that sounds quite dystopian where you're given a basic income once a week and jobs are changing so drastically. The technology uh, is improving so drastically at such a high rate that there's no such thing as job security. So you're just guaranteed a, a, a basic income and all your food is sort of delivered by an Amazon drone and, and you basically do just live in your apartment all day, but you interact in, in virtual communities that feel like real communities because you're actually there uh, virtually, yes, but you're getting the same sort of neurofeedback and, and the, the same um, psychological response because the technology is so advanced. And then I mean, the, the implications for for where we live, how we live, how big our house needs to be, uh, Do we? will cities even exist or will everyone just live in random pods somewhere in the countryside? And, and it may be a good thing for the climate. People will be traveling far less and we won't actually have to uh, have as much, uh, although this will be very energy intensive at the same time, but we're looking at such a drastic transformation of uh, the way we live and any wisdom and advice we give you, whether it's on this podcast or on any podcast or, or source of uh, knowledge and wisdom is, is basically going to become obsolete in the ma in a matter of really 10 years. I mean, they're, they're already scared. talking about that, you know, self-driving cars, but if everyone's in the metaverse, we won't even need cars. So uh, who the anyway. hell knows? We should be careful because we're going to give some people an existential crisis <laughs> if we keep talking uh, well, about this. It's, it's <laughs> happening. It's on the horizon. Ooh, it's getting hot here. Um, <laughs> well, the podcast, this was a bit more close to home. So uh, podcast I wanted to do today. I wanted to have a bit of a broader conversation about socializing boys and girls because this is a hot topic. The way boys are socialized, say, to be masculine and tough and and manly and how that adversely affects them later on in life and the way girls are socialized to be uh, feminine and submissive and uh, to some would, some would even say to be a second-class citizen to, to men. 
uh, and how that adversely affects them and the world later on in their life. And I just couldn't help but think this is a very sort of simplistic way of uh, understanding the very complex process of socializing a child for you know, 18, let's be honest, more like 24 years. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I wanted to uh, maybe uh, explore different ways of uh, looking at that. First, I want to talk about how it's changed dramatically, I think, in the last 30 to 40 years, particularly in Western society. I mean, this is anecdotal, but my mom actually wanted to do some practical work, but her parents were against that, whereas I can't remember a time where my sister was told, you have yeah. to get married or you have to, uh, you know, fulfill this kind of traditional feminine role. And and similarly, I was never told anything like that. So mm. at least for our family, it uh, changed a lot. I know that's not the case for every family, but uh, also something like toughen up. This is a, a phrase that's often used with uh, negative connotations associated with it. And it's often used in regards to uh, boys, young men being told to toughen up and uh, suppress their feelings. And I just wonder whether we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater and whether there's still value to um, telling a young boy to toughen up in some situations because uh, exposure therapy, at least to me, is still one of the most effective ways to deal with future hardship and to ease the potential anxiety that may come with that. And essentially that's telling someone to toughen up. You know, you may feel slightly distressed when you're going through a stressful exam period or uh, when you've got a little niggling injury. I'm not talking about a really um, uh, significant bone break or anything like that. And and Mm. in those situations, Again, it's it's contextual here, but I, I can't help but feel maybe telling someone, both a boy or a girl, to toughen up, and I can't see how that's necessarily a bad thing because there are instances in life that are going to be very hard and there are certain things that, sure, maybe the, the community or the, the state or the nation can um, cooperate to uh, a- a- ameliorate, for particularly for some groups, uh, but... There are also just the uh, inevitable realities of life. There are breakups and and deaths and tragedies and accidents. And and it looks like there's going to be a lot more uh, natural disasters, uh, food shortages, pandemics, these things that, um, sure, we have some control over, but the individual has very infinitesimal control over. And I wonder if someone who's been told uh, throughout their childhood to toughen up at a sort of moderate and what I would call a, a healthy level, I wonder if they'd be able to cope with uh, events and occurrences like that better than someone who was never told to toughen up and was always coddled whenever they were distressed or anxious. And uh, I know there's a sort of boomer stereotype of uh, Gen Z in particular that says they're very fragile and emotional and get triggered easily and they're snowflakes. But I have also always firmly been of the belief that stereotypes don't fall out of the sky. And there is a huge amount of negative um, mental health uh, issues associated with Gen Z that uh, uh, sort of manifest in in higher neuroticism, higher anxiety rates. And I do wonder if that is a product of a sort of uh, uh, an easier upbringing and... uh, 
you know, going to the, the pendulum swinging too far one way, wherein whenever there's bullying, whenever there's hardship, whenever there's any sort of instance that uh, is not optimal for that person's uh, present mental health, the teacher or the bureaucracy or, or some sort of authority figure, it's their duty and responsibility to uh, alleviate that concern. And then you sort of can extrapolate that out and, and, and think about for millions of people who have grown up this way, when they get to adulthood and they see things on Netflix or they uh, see things on social media that uh, upset them or cause them distress, there's this automatic response that, oh, someone else needs to help me here. Uh, mm. This is I've I've grown up uh, as a child where my you know my parents always made me feel better whenever I was feeling distressed. My teachers always did too, and so I expect the government or I expect uh, HR or I expect uh, some sort of authority figure to to help all, me. And I know the sort yeah. of bastardized version of that is then people who uh, are, you know the the uh, freedom loving Americans who who will just sort of fetishize personal responsibility, which is something, which is a sort of uh, um, a value I, I, I really uh, am a fan of. I'm sure everyone is aware of that, but there are also limits to that too. But uh, that's essentially what I wanted to discuss here in this podcast. And, and one final thing, I guess, introducing it is uh, it, it would be very interesting to, to think about, say, you know, a, a boy and a girl who are who have been socialized in, let's say, gender atypical ways. So every time the boy is distressed, let's say, maybe not every time, but like eight out of 10 times the boy is in distress or, or showing some form of negative emotions. He's told, hey, that's life, you know, deal with it. And maybe eight out of 10 times the girl is in distress and showing some sort of negative emotions. You know, the parents or, or some sort of authority helps her and figure something out to ensure that she doesn't have to experience that sort of distress. So I know that's a very simplified way of doing it, but then how does that then uh, manifest, say, over the whole childhood, but then after 25 years of these people, you know, 80% of the time being told one thing versus being told the other thing, how does that then impact them in their adult life? And uh, from mm -hmm. another, uh, you know, another anecdotal thing here, which is that uh, whenever I receive negative feedback on social media um when men are sending negative feedback to me it's always aggressive it's always angry it's always you're a you know personal insults or you got this wrong you're a how dare you say something like this it's it's quite combative and argumentative and usually when when women are sending me messages or uh criticism on social media it's almost always hey this made me upset this made me uh, you know, n no longer respect you. This, this, this was hurtful, and it's more dealing with their personal emotions. And I just can't help but feel that may be a product of those different kind of socialization processes. It's also, I'm sure, to some degree biological. But um, I just wanted to unpack that, and I thought that would be a very interesting conversation for our uh, second podcast. So we're already a quarter of the way through. Uh, <laughs> what, what do you think about all of that? and you know toughening up and uh you know catering to people's emotions what's your broad over opinion on on that well i mean i've worked in child development now for about eight years and so i feel like i do have very particular views and experience on this and i i genuinely feel it Absolutely. is a balancing act of being smacked down in the middle first mm. of all children 
that are under the age of seven, sometimes even older, cannot regulate on their own. So they rely on their parents to regulate them when they're distressed. And that is the absolute primary role of a caregiver. So if you're three, four, five years old and you're having a tantrum, you are outside of your rational view. You go into your survival mode. You're outside of your window of tolerance. You cannot be reasoned with. You cannot be understood. You need to be cared for so that you can regulate. And studies show the more that you're, you know, coddled, comforted and cuddled, the quicker you regulate and the faster you learn to regulate later on in life. So for example, someone that was cuddled often as a child when they were upset and said, it's okay, I know that was really tough. As an adult, will likely get over things much uh, quicker, be able to calm down quicker and be more in control of their emotions. So I think Mm. that's a really important thing that people don't understand that adults need to regulate their children through nurture. Um, But that being said, you know, I've spoken about this um, before, but you can absolutely go the other way where you do it too far and then you let the child become the adult of the household or you know the top of the household and I worked with a family once it was an eight-year-old boy and his mother a single mother who had a lot of guilt because she uh, was a victim of DV and he had witnessed it so after the father left she felt so bad you know my my kid's been with a violent father for this many years, she tried to really compensate it to him. And anyway, it went on for a few years. And by the time I became involved with this family, this kid would play, um, I think it was Minecraft, but it was like a video game on his computer for literally 20 hours a day. He would, he would not get up to go to the toilet. He would use it and he would just pee on the floor or whatever. Sometimes if he had to go do a poo, he would leave. But other than that, he wouldn't. 20 his mother- hours, so he didn't sleep much. No, didn't sleep at all. His mother would give him a menu every single day and he would choose what he wanted to eat and she would make it for him off the menu. And sometimes if he said, I don't, this is gross, make me something else, she would. She would make him something else. So then he was also becoming quite overweight, this kid. No activity, not moving, serious video game addiction. And she would bring in an inflatable like little pool thing into his tiny bedroom and fill it up with water just to bathe him once a week because he refused to leave his room. She, he wouldn't let her sleep in his, uh, in her own room or have any space to herself. So she would have to sit there and watch him play hours and hours and hours on ends. And then during the night when they finally went to bed, she would sleep on the ground, on the floor, literally just on hardwood floor with a blanket and a pillow because he demanded it. And I think that's a that's a very severe example, but that is what happened Jesus. when a parent was trying, in her view, she was like, I was listening to his needs and trying to meet every single one of them. So we had to kind of reparent her on how to parent her child appropriately with boundaries and maintaining that she needs to be the authority figure and that children rely on that to feel safe and confident. And if they don't feel comfort and safety from you, they're going to seek it from themselves. They're going to take on that role themselves. Well, I'll I'll make things safe by you doing exactly what I say and predicting everything you do. And and what a kid isn't going to choose that when they're not, you know, they don't have enough brain development to make safe choices for themselves. Of course, they're going to say, I'm going to play 20 hours of Minecraft a day. So that, although that's really extreme, people do tipple over into that, that kind of side quite frequently. Um, and I, yeah. Oh, sorry. I just... I was just going to jump in there very quickly and yeah. say, do you think uh, we hear a lot about how uh, men get praised for doing the bare minimum and, and a lot of young men are kind of, you know, useless at life. That's the sort of mantra yeah. that now tends to exist. And I wonder how much of that is. And then the, the wisdom seems to be, well, if men 
were, uh, you know, socialized in a way that was a bit more emotional and they were allowed to express themselves, that that wouldn't be the case. But it, it, don't you think it's sort of gone the other way when men were uh, brought up in a much more masculine environment, they tended to take more responsibility and, you know, <laughs> clean their room and all of that. And now uh, a lot of men, even my age, 27, who just, uh, just the bare basics, they, they struggle to just you know, sleep properly and clean their apartment. It's just a mess. And understandably, a lot of young women are like, well, what the hell is this? But I can't help but think, and this could be the way I've been socialized, but I I can't help but think they needed a father figure to say, mate, this is just garbage. What the hell is this crap? Mm. You need to be disciplined. You should have been disciplined uh, at a younger age and told this is, this is just, this is shameful. For both you and for a potential uh, prospective partner, you can't live like this. So uh, have we sort of lost the art of uh, disciplining and 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 sort of giving that tough message to to young boys and 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 then teenagers and even adolescent men? uh, Sorry, younger men. Yeah, I think that the key word you said there is shame because shame is one of the most important human emotions and experiences because when we feel shame, we avoid that action forever Um, Mm. unless we self-sabotage, in which case we do that over and over again. But shame teaches us to not repeat behavior and it's important sometimes to make children feel ashamed for drawing on the walls or breaking this and doing that. But you can do it in a way that is still kind of like gentle parenting even will make children feel and see the consequences being like, look, you've done this. Now I have to clean this up or you're going to have to clean this up with me. And now I'm really upset. And now, you know, we can't do this because you've broken the lawnmower or something like that. Like it is you can help children understand that through non-aggressive behaviors. However, there are a lot of studies that show and demonstrate that men that had Oh, sorry, boys that have adult um, parents or, or fathers that are quite emotional and very like sensitive and in touch with their emotions grow up not with the stereotype of thinking emotions are weak and therefore in later in life actually have much more successful time, a successful ability to connect with women of the opposite sex because they can meet and talk to them on an emotional level. So all of the studies Mm. would say that it is beneficial for a man to be able to speak to his son in a way that is emotive because what happens if they don't do that and they're an adult and they've never learned how to communicate, you know, their their emotions or never known how to say, I feel vulnerable or show any vulnerability. And what happens then is they want to connect with females. They want to connect with the opposite sex. And if they can't do it through their words, they do it through physical touch. They do it through other methods that aren't, you know, super conducive to a successful long-term relationship. How many times do we hear um, a woman say after two years, he never opened up. He never shared anything with me. I couldn't do it. Like, I felt like I was talking to a brick wall. So it is interesting. And I definitely agree. There is a, a little bit of a narrative, especially recently saying that we celebrate men for doing the bare minimum. Um, like, oh, cool. He has a job, like no need to brag about that. Everyone should have a job or like, cool. He bought you are flowers or something or maybe not flowers but cool he hasn't cheated on you like congratulations no one in a relationship should cheat on you so I think it goes both ways I although I don't think that men 
weaponize that against women saying well she does the bare minimum i've never heard a guy say that but i certainly have started to oh really (laughs) have you seen there's uh tiktoks where like single mothers will be saying like i do you know i'm a single mom i look after my kids i have a job and men are like well yeah you're supposed to what do you want a medal yeah (laughs) yeah okay yeah fair enough actually i have heard that in the sense of you know online dating especially when it comes to i don't know what it is about men hating on single mothers so much anytime i watch a video about online dating single mothers just get ripped so much um from men which is which is interesting ripped or is it just that men would rather not uh no they get ripped like ripped into saying i'm so sick of seeing these you know, fat and jobless single mothers and blah, blah, blah. I'm not here to be a daddy. But, you know, she has a right to have an account and have a profile. Just because you have a child doesn't mean you can't find love. Um, You're allowed your preference, of course. But to be like some people are so, so vocal about it. I remember when I was doing – we did that podcast. It was very Mm. controversial on how 80% of women go for 20% of men and vice versa. Mm. And um, there was – there was like a casual name for it. Like the, was it like the, the, uh, 20 principle or hyperbole? Yeah, that's right. The 80, 20 principle or the Tinder experiment, something like that. And I YouTubed it. And so many of the videos, actually, basically all the videos I saw were of men using it as a reason to bash on women. And one of them, one of the most popular ones was this guy with this whiteboard and he's like, okay, 80% of the women, well, this many are uneducated, this many are fat and this many are mothers. And then just use it to hate on every single women out there. And I think that recently people are trying to push back on that and they're saying, well, we're not going to. We're not going to celebrate and clap for you just because you didn't cheat on your girlfriend anymore. We're not going to celebrate this. Like we deserve better. Uh, and I think that social media is playing a huge uh, part who in cele- this. Who celebrates a man who doesn't, who does that? Who celebrates <laughs> a man? Oh, like, oh my God, he has a job. Like that's, I don't know anyone who. I know never... so many that do. I cannot, it honestly breaks my heart. Oh, every girl I know almost <laughs> and even really close friends of mine that have also studied you know psych and things like that will say oh like you know he here he did this and yeah he lies about this and yeah he doesn't treat me good but like last month he bought me like this the sunflowers and they're my favorite and I'm like okay hey, but if he buys you flowers once in the six months but has every single it doesn't undo every single thing that you are struggling with it doesn't undo all of the lack of effort the tears the crying all the issues you had um and you know it goes two two ways we only ever hear one side um Mm, so and i only ever heard one side but definitely uh um could be a self-worth issue with the yeah. The woman there as well, yeah. but I mean, sure, it's, is it her responsibility? I don't know. But then I think with the, yeah, there, there is like this sort of very visceral hatred for single mothers, especially in more working and lower class communities because there's a lot more of them. And yeah. I think I don't, I don't, you know, condone that sort of language and attitude, but uh, there's this sense that uh, men I don't want to speak on behalf of all men as well, but mm-hmm. uh, they they actually feel the opposite. They don't feel like they're getting praised for doing the bare minimum. It's that uh, women have feel an in, in, entitled to get that sort of twenty top twenty percent 
top tier man uh and you know they 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 have a sort of inflated sense of how valuable they may be on the dating market now that's a very confronting thing to hear because mm-hmm. we all have been socialized to think we are deserving of love and we're going to have a happy ending and, and a fairy tale and a prince or a princess mm-hmm. and chances are you're probably not you know like yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's harsh but no not everyone gets a you know a prince or a princess i mean it's all beauties in the eye of the beholder don't get me wrong but um there's a perception on both sides of the the spectrum here that uh one gender has the inflated ego so uh i I, you know whoever's true i don't i don't know but uh that i think is where that sort of oh look you go on online dating and you see all these you know fat women and single mothers and and blah 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 and they and they have this entitlement like oh i want a man who's six foot and has a six figures six figure salary and six pack and those that that trifecta the the uh, six pack six foot tall and six figure salary they did this uh, study and it's something like one percent or less than one percent of men have all three have of all three yeah it's very yeah. very rare so good luck if <laughs> yeah, that's what you want you're, you're gonna get disappointed because uh, yeah. you know you almost and it's probably uh, going down as well because there's a lot fewer men with six packs and. Um, you know, six figures, 100,000 a year is probably not going to even be that much in, in 10 years' time. Yeah, which is scary, isn't it? Even less probably. I think I do agree with that. I know that um, I spoke to a guy who had a, a sugar daddy profile as a sugar daddy, and he was saying that like 75% of the women on there are single mothers just wanting someone to look after them and their children. So I did think that 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 was interesting. But I think, like I said before, social media is playing a huge, huge part in this. And um, I know that on TikTok, if there is, and this might just be obviously my algorithm. So tell me if you've seen this too. But I, if when a guy talks on TikTok negatively about a woman, the amount of flack, and you know, rightly so, he will get in the comments is insane. He will get ripped by hundreds and thousands of girls um, and just totally like, yeah, good, really like personal insults. Whereas when women mm, are insulting men, they're like, yes, sis. <laughs> Tell yeah, it how it's a, it is. It's, it's definitely yeah. a female-dominated app because even on my For You page, I, I see a lot more of that. Having said that, mm. there are some some accounts where it's definitely it's it's not that, and uh, the comments are. You, you go on both sides. You go on, I guess, incel and femcel, or both just female and male incel TikTok, and they have the exact same narrative of the other gender. It's, oh, they yeah. think they're entitled to all this and, yeah. you know, I've been hard done by. And and it's very interesting. Um, but exactly. I don't want to stray too much from, I guess, where, how did we even get onto that? That came from... Um, I don't know. But there is one more the, thing, oh, one yeah, more tough, reference. The men who are getting praised for the doing the, the bare minimum, bare minimum. Like not, not having a bed frame and all this sort of stuff. And th- that's true. Like you shouldn't praise the man for that but do you think that that's happened because we've sort of you know we're in this sort of casual sexual dating environment there's less incentive for men to really pull themselves up from their bootstraps and 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 be a really good man because they can get laid just by you know a few really cool flirty lines on tinder and then a bit of good banter on a date so they don't need to uh, have a good job they don't need to have a nice apartment and do you think that 
there's culture a, has exacerbated that. Yeah, there's a girl um, that does TikTok videos about men, and it's literally this, men who are famous for doing the bare minimum. And what it is, she'll copy their um, their videos where they're just like standing there, even just sometimes like barely moving their lips to lip sync a song and they have 2 million likes. And she will mimic them and being like, how do... Why are we celebrating this man and giving him two be- two million likes? Even guys do it as well. Being yeah, like, but there's a lot. You know, there's plenty of girls that also are just yeah, yeah, know, and same, same, off. yeah, and they get ripped into that. But back to when we were talking about women that are insulting men. If you have TikTok, even if you don't, I highly recommend um, you look at this girl's account. You might have heard of her. Her name is Drew Drew Af- Afuelo. So D-R-E-W and her last name is A-F-U-A-L-O and she has gone absolutely viral for stitching, which means you take a part of someone's video and then add your own, for stitching men that have insulted women. So for example, a man, it's usually men that call, you know, say women need to exercise more, they're all overweight and she will stitch it and just give them the most insane roast you have ever heard and it is so insulting it's always targeting their looks targeting their dick size targeting their height targeting everything and she was just she bullies these men but she's gone famous and i have to i have to admit they are so funny to watch and she is so so celebrated and i can't remember her reasoning because someone actually made a comment once saying like aren't you doing the same thing like you're trying to call out men for bullying women and then her view is actually i'm not bullying all men i'm bullying one man for his comment on all women and like i don't know she had a good way of explaining it which i thought was interesting because i was kind of sitting in the camp of she's going way too far but then when i listened to that video of her explanation i was like this makes sense i'll send it to you afterwards (laughs) you can tell me what you think but if you listen it is brutal there's a lot of that. It's very, it's like a matriarchal app. Let's say that yeah. much. It's a female it's a feminism. app. Yes, it's yeah. definitely like there's a lot of weaponized feminism on there. Yes. Um, yeah. And the comments and all sorts of things, you know. So, that well, I guess speaking broadly about that, I wonder about, that sounds actually, I would argue that's kind of fair. If he's kind of said something, well, she's yeah. allowed to kind of roast him. But then the problem yeah. is like if a man then roasts her about her looks, I wonder if she'll cry sexism. That's the only issue that uh, I they think. They always do, but she exactly. never does. Well, she never does the... cry that. She just insults them back, which is kind of good, I think. Like she doesn't say like, yeah, this well, is good. so sexist. She'll just be like, whatever, like you've got a pin dick or something insulting like that. Or you look like Rick and Morty or you look like this. Like she just comes up with things that, I don't know, she has a vivid imagination. Um, but anyway... When we mentioned before about you know, society's influence on, you know, gender gender roles in children, I think that although society does have um, a big influence and we have, you know, there's a lot of studies that show that our initial interpretation and understanding of gender role comes from our parents and the way that they are and like the toys they give us and things like that. But there are also a lot of studies that show that it is in fact um, biological and there is a condition that some babies have in the womb like little girls um, in the womb that I can't remember the long name but it stands for it, the acronym is C-A-H and basically it means they have additional male hormones uh, yeah, um, I've heard about this I've yeah 
And this one's really interesting. The studies have shown that girls that have these hormones will come out and they will want to play and socialize the same way that boys do. So they're more inclined towards rough and tumble and playing with objects rather than little girls are more inclined to play with, you know, sometimes doll or often dolls, but it's all about that social aspect for them. So I thought that was an interesting um, thing. And there was also another study that showed they had heaps of heaps of little boys and little girls um, and they put them in a room one by one and told them get that like this is a toy for you to play with and they put it just out of reach and in every single time there were tools like little things to knock the toy off and you know they could pick it up to get this toy and 80% or just under 80% of the boys all used the tool to get the toy off to play with it and only 30% of girls attempted to get the toy off to play with it they were like oh it's out of reach i'm not gonna get it um and the studies of that were showing that one boys were more likely to engage in risk-taking behaviors and and climb up on the chair and balance to try get it and they're much more driven towards objects whereas um girls were much more driven towards the social inclinations and that there is actually a natural segregation amongst children between the genders because kids will pick the um, the p- kids will pick other children that play the same way that they do. So I also found it interesting that boys had not necessarily a, a, a preference between trucks and dolls. They would play with whatever was in front of them really, but girls would never want to play with trucks. They would sometimes they would, they would play with dolls, but never want to, not interested in the trucks, well for majority of them. So it's very interesting. Yeah, well, it's just sort of uh, uh, confirmed a lot of the suspicions that people who may not be fully on board with the progressive agenda would suggest, which is that a lot of this is hormonal and biological and men and women on average will always, uh, there will be differences in their behavior and their interests and their proclivities and to sort of socially construct this perfect equality is never going to work and it's going against our nature and uh a, a common one that uh Jordan peterson always uses is that the nordic countries which are the most progressive in terms of their gender policies show the biggest split between the choices of profession between men and women um women are actually more likely to to choose more stereotypically feminine roles and to be more cooperative and less competitive so uh i think we're doing ourselves a disservice by saying that all of this is just culturally ingrained and based on our socialization. And it's just clearly not. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and again, like we're, we've said in another podcast, when you ask any trans person who's been on hormones, how those hormones have affected their behavior, yeah. it's almost always um, uh, impacted them to act in a more stereotypically gendered way associated with that particular hormone. So uh, trans men who are taking testosterone suddenly uh, feel the compulsion to act a lot more stereotypically manly and vice versa. And then it begs yeah. the question, if boys and girls are inherently different, do we need to socialize them in different ways? Are there strategies that are actually better for boys and is a more sort of com- combative, direct, uh, straightforward approach uh, to, to boys in some situations better Whereas a more sort of caring and nurturing approach to to women in some situations, uh, better, uh, mm. and and that's different to saying, well, 
you know, that limits what you're allowed to do as an adult. But mm. just based on their physiological profile, uh, do we mold our behavioral and socialization strategy to that? And, uh, I, yeah. you know, I, I, I just can't help but wonder if um, what we've established now ethically as a society is that whenever someone feels uncomfortable or whenever someone's upset or if a partic- if a if a large group or community is upset then the the morality of the society or the person or or group who's caused that uh, distress is entirely dependent on whether they uh uh offer some kind of whether it's an apology or just any kind of uh sorrow and and so that they um make up for for the distress and the um, negative emotion they've caused. And, you know, there's a whole other side to that, which can sort of cross the boundary into manipulation. And we, uh, we've established that in personal relationships where someone who's constantly upset and using that to get their way and to control another person will mm. uh, immediately be called manipulative. But then when it's a large group uh, that's uh, acting that mm. way, it's never manipulative. It's uh, based on sort of these esoteric and, yeah. you know, theoretical uh, ideas of, of and, and very sort of nebulous ideas of uh, power from, mm. uh, you know, the social sciences. Uh, they've, they've justified certain uh, avenues of morality based on appeasing the emotional whims of certain groups but not other groups. And I disagree with that. I don't think just because someone's upset it's not the moral responsibility of the person who caused that upset to always have to uh, atone for that uh because one it's impossible first of all as someone who has a profile and has an abundance of people messaging me saying hey this joke was upsetting this video was upsetting this thing you did was upsetting well if i tried to cater to all of them i'd be just one mentally exhausted i also wouldn't Mm. have a career because (laughs) there's just so much you can you can Mm. bloody do so uh, at, at what point do we start to rethink that, that moral paradigm that we've established where compassion is the ultimate value and there's never anything to say, hey, you're upset, that's fine, you're a human, those emotions are valid, no one's denying the existence of those emotions, but your existence as a person is not tied into that distress and you're allowed to just be distressed, you're allowed to be upset and maybe a joke or a comment might have made you uncomfortable and it doesn't automatically i'm not saying it always is hey toughen up shut up or whatever Mm -hmm. but it doesn't automatically mean that society or the group at large is at fault yeah i think it's an interesting point about when people get upset or offended at something that they almost anticipate and expect an apology from that person that's upset them even though you know, like we've kind of tried to talk about in previous podcasts, that any reaction is your own responsibility. Even if someone says something completely offensive to you, it may not be offensive to other people, but they don't have the responsibility to apologize for your own personal reaction. And, you know, I say that as someone, I get offended by a lot of things I see, but I don't ask them to personally apologize to me. I'd find it really interesting when people do that, especially to, you know, someone like you with such a large following, that they're like, this has really bothered me. I get it when it's like a, by the way, you've spread a lot of misinformation about sure, you know, the trans totally. community or this community or whatever. That I would get sense. that. I would say, okay, I can correct that. But when it's just a personal offense, you know, 
it's it is interesting that we would like you know we need in order for that to be resolved my offense i need someone else to apologize for it so there's also a class difference i would uh, argue because if you have grown up in a working class environment especially if there were a lot of siblings you know your parents can't always uh be there to protect your feelings and mm. uh you talk to people who are working class they're much more likely to express views like hey toughen up and you know get over it and uh who ca- you know mm. s- stop having a sook sooky la la whatever they whatever they say <laughs> yeah and you know also their jobs probably require a lot more of uh physical toughness and and with that comes emotional toughness if you're working on a bloody oil rig you know that's yeah. a lot you know taxing on the body than uh working in a marketing firm so it makes yeah. sense that that culture has developed yeah i think that it almost depends when you have that approach i think it really depends on the age i genuinely believe and there's so much study and research to back the fact that children young children especially toddlers need that nurture in order to be developed the way that in their best potential really however i think that teenagers and adults need to be challenged at times and you know i have a friend who is a guy and you know he's had girlfriends and I became his almost like on-call counsellor and he suffers from anxiety and depression and he has quite bad anxiety, but he would use it as a reason for every single thing that he ever did that was wrong. And often he would do things in his relationship, like he would lie or he would do something like that and this, and then she would get upset and he'd call me and be like, I couldn't tell her because I was so anxious. I was so upset and so anxious. And when I was younger, like in my early twenties and I was very much of the view, which I still am, you know, men need nurture and they don't get that. They don't get compassion. So I was very much like, I know like your anxiety is crippling. Like it's really, really hard. And then anyway, after a few years of this, um, where he called me all the time, basically to validate him. And I just said, mate, like at this point, I actually don't have any compassion for you because you have continuously used your mental health as a reason for every single thing that you do wrong or anything wrong that happens to you. Yes, your mental health is significant. Yes, it's impacted your life quite severely at times. But what have you actually done? What have you done to counteract this? Have you sought therapy? No. Have you gone on medication? No. Have you practiced mindfulness? Have you read any books? You've done literally nothing for it. You're almost sitting in this point of self-pity in order to like absolve yourself of any responsibility for what is going on. Like, and I know that, you know, mental health, I work in mental health, so I know that it's it's much easier said than done. You can't snap out of it. You can't come mm. out of it and just be like, okay, I can fix everything now. But if this has been impacting your life for that many years without ever doing anything towards it. And by the way, this person is is financially capable of seeking support and has multiple resources in Sydney, Australia to access support. There's really no reason or excuse to why he shouldn't. So I understand when some people say, well, not everyone has access. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about the people that do. And what was really interesting is that after I kind of got like a little bit pissy to at him about this, I think because he'd done something to upset me, it wasn't even his girlfriend and I was saying like, you know, like enough of this, you're not actually helping yourself by just using this and it's only gonna impact your life further. Like you need to seek help. Anyway, after I had that, I had a little go at him about it. He was actually like, holy shit, you're so right. 
Like I'm so, you're so right. And I have been using it. And anyway, yeah, he went on up. to do, th- <laughs> yeah, he, well, I was, I was a little bit more fire than the way I'm saying it now. I kind of went on a really big you. rant. I can't imagine <laughs> yeah. you doing an angry rant. That would be, I wanna, I next like time, yelling. can you record it? Yeah, I was like, I'm not going to cuddle you. I'm not going to be here to support you every single time anymore because this is your responsibility. I'm actually enabling you if I, if you keep coming to me and I just empathize with you every single time. Anyway, he went on to do therapy. He went on to do, um, he got medication. He was on it for a year and then he came off and was saying how much better he felt. And he was like, I really think it was because everyone I had spoken to just feels afraid to say, well, you know, fuck your anxiety or fuck your depression. So they would agree with me. And he was like, I truly believe that it, it was really just a a reason for everything wrong that happened in his life, which it may have well been, but it was Mm. until someone challenged him and said, well, toughen up. If you're saying that it's fucking up your life, do something about it. Like get off your ass and do something. And that's when he actually did. And it, it helped him. Um, but that being said, I want to also point that when you're young, your the the voice of your parents becomes your subconscious voice. And my mom had a really tough childhood herself. Um, and so she was very much of the view that I have given you children everything. Like you, you guys have such a nice life. We're wealthy. You're very loved. So anytime I was upset about anything as a child, she would be like, there's nothing to be upset about. Look how lucky you are. Come on, get up, up you get, you're all right. Brush your teeth. And still as an adult, I really, really struggle to, I just cannot allow myself to feel sorry for myself or feel bad about myself or, you know, think something shit has happened to me. Like, you know, I can sit in this pity for a day or two. I really struggle to process any negative emotion. And I think that it really comes from that subconscious get over it. Like, you know, even after I was um, injured and assaulted earlier this year, I didn't tell anyone, (laughs) like aside from people that witnessed it at work, I didn't tell anyone for weeks, like any of my friends or family, even though I was, you know, in hospital at one point and things like that. So it's just one of those things that I wish sometimes that I had the ability to say, hey, I'm struggling or hey, I'm going through this. I need support. If that's not adversely affecting your life, that may be a good thing. I think it is like if you're not, it's really if it, hard to tell. Who knows? If, Maybe it is. It could be. But I mean, I'm, I'm just I'm just saying it could be. I'm not saying yeah. it definitely is. But um, when we talk about processing emotions, I mean, what is yeah. that? I mean, sometimes if you've gone through a tough time and you don't need to, the, sometimes you don't need to tell anyone. Sometimes you can just yeah. get over it and yeah. good. Like that, those people are probably the people we should be um, trying to model ourselves on. Because we automatically assume, oh, there's something unhealthy going on. If they've gone through this terrible ordeal and they're not talking about it and they're not sitting in it for a few weeks, oh, there must be something wrong with them. Well, maybe not. Maybe they just actually are a tough person and that's a good thing. I'm just speculating here. Um, Yeah, yeah. uh, But uh, coming back to say that that guy who had anxiety and things and then, you know, you, you, you hear that a lot, not necessarily just anxiety but a lot of people i guess making kind of excuses for yeah uh things going on in their lives and um i wonder how they were socialized if if you know their parents weren't putting in boundaries and you've got this stereotype of the rich white boy who's always swearing at his mom right and that again it comes from somewhere the the dad's 
always out working and the mum can't control the son and so he becomes the entitled you know private school boy and I, yeah. I kind of get sick of that stereotype because look I went to public schools I, I would probably guess the the guys there are way worse to women <laughs> than, than private schools so yeah um it's probably just it, maybe there isn't that entitlement oh I don't the entitlement thing that's always so convoluted and, and complex but mm-hmm. uh uh anyway um you know where does that come from the i the the fact that you can get away with you know swearing at your mum and just sort of always saying oh you don't understand me and all this kind of like bratty teenage attitude i mean it it's sort of i'm in two minds there you know one you want to i guess like with my dad a few times you want to kind of tell your, your your son or your daughter like hey shut up Stop with the attitude. Like this yeah. is just you're not your life isn't that bad, right? Look, you're yeah. allowed to feel however you feel, but like go and do your chores, go and do what you need to do and stop having the whinge about it. But at the same time, if you go too far with that, sure, there can be problems. So I guess it's a fine line. Um the the thing about uh opening up in relationships that you you, you touched on earlier, a lot of a lot of men and myself included will always come back and say Every time we've opened up, every time we have spoken about our feelings, it's backfired. It's 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 you know been either used against us or uh, it's um, been perceived as not a, unattractive, which is something a girl can't control. That's fair enough, uh, but uh, that's where a lot of men will then go into other relationships and then not necessarily you know mm. expose themselves and be uh, exceedingly vulnerable because. Uh, I've got a joke about it. I say when women say, "Oh, men need to open up more in relationships," what that means is you got to you can talk about the good feelings you have for her, but that's it. That's it. <laughs> no, you want the gentrified male feelings of like you're beautiful, I love you, yeah. you know, we're soulmates, but all that bad stuff, you yeah. know, I, oh, you stressed me out, or this mm. thing you did that made this thing you did made me upset. You know, try a, a really good sign in a in a um, female partner uh, is someone who can sort of maturely listen to your negative emotions especially negative emotions maybe even about her yeah and uh process that in a mature and adult way and not say you're being manipulative or you're you know you've upset me therefore you've done something wrong i mean actually again come back to tiktok but she was there was this girl that was referencing a bell hooks book who's a academic that recently passed away and I, i gotta read this book but um she was reading a passage about how We've now been been told uh, we don't need to live this lie. We don't need to live this fairy tale. Men don't need to be these stoic robots that are providers and resourceful and can never do anything wrong or can never cry. Nor do female need to be females need to be these submissive, uh, you know, genteel, uh, you know, always uh, kind beings to to just please this fantasy for for men but both people are pleasing a fantasy to some to some respect and then when people actually do break from that mold it's deeply unattractive and i i think this is for both can be for both genders when it's not that i'm in i don't think you know i'm intimidated by a woman who's very argumentative or that kind of sassy bad bitch but it's definitely not it's not attractive and similarly i don't think women are necessarily intimidated or you know, like disgusted by a man opening up, but it, it probably isn't attractive because it, it's not fitting this sort of 
ideal perception we have of the other gender that um, we can we can all sort of theoretically say, oh, I, I don't mind. I want a woman who's, uh, you, you know, going to tell me exactly how she feels and give it to me straight and, and not be this kind of like, you know, submissive feminine um, fantasy. And similarly, maybe women will say, I don't want this man who's just a stoic, you know, dominant, confident person who's always a shoulder to cry on, but uh, will never cry himself or, you know, if he does, it's because I'm so beautiful or something like that. Like, you know, these are when these molds are broken down, it's actually uh, very impactful and sometimes in a negative way to, to people. And, and going on from this passage she was reading, she was saying that uh, uh, when a, when men do open up in relationships and, and in a very sort of human and authentic way, it, it can um, really uh, destroy that fantasy that people have. And I, I know there's a, there's a lot of complexity to a conversation like this because, uh, you know, how's that person opening up? Are they making excuses? Are they... Uh, are they are they being con- controlling? But even that word, like you know, what's controlling to one person can always be mm. boundaries to another. So uh, this is this is all very mm. confusing and, and complicated. And then and then women will rightfully say that hey, men have been socialized to think that the only person they can open up to is their girlfriend and partner. And that actually is something I, I agree with. I think you should have multiple outlets. If anything, you should probably open up more to your to your mates uh that, that they're, they're gonna be the ones that are there for you and trust you and probably understand a bit better because i'm assuming they're they're men as well and mm. and not necessarily um immediately open up to your to your girlfriend um so yeah the the opening up thing is uh i know mm. we've done so many podcasts about this but uh i i i have to just say that from from a, a lot of men that that will message me but i've done one of those anonymous questionnaires as well and and from my personal experience as well um when you do open up and say you're overwhelmed it it often isn't uh it doesn't work out well um i i I can recount one particular instance where uh i was very stressed with there was a multitude of shows about to happen and my income because sometimes i have to wait for like this big bulk of income that comes in like a couple of months i was a bit stressed Mm. financially and i was in a long distance relationship so i was stressed about her and not seeing her and i really like let it all out and was just kind of you know just overwhelmed and and stressed and i told her everything and i could see it in her face she she sort of rolled her eyes and she's like all right, well, let's, okay, let's write it all down. Okay, this is what you need to do. And she was kind of babying mm, me. And I look back at that now and I'm like, all right, that um, that would have been very unattractive for her. Um, and I don't necessarily regret doing it. I think that was a sort of good learning curve. But, yeah, it wasn't a positive experience opening up about it. And that, that had really not much to do with her. Um, I guess it was just well, the stress of an, a, a long distance relationship, but I was stressed yeah. a, a f- for, for work and things like that. And I maybe wanted a bit of emotional support and I didn't really get it. I got a kind of contemptuous attitude. Yeah, look, I agree that I know men have a lot of you know experiences with this, but I also disagree in the sense that I don't think it's something that is a whole wholly unattractive thing to women, even majority of women, I don't think it is. I think there's two 
really significant factors that come into play. One, does a woman feel like she's being criticized? Because anyone that feels like they're being criticized, even if it's justified, sometimes step out of their rational mind and shut it down. And two, does she herself not have you know, a common ability to open up and be vulnerable because she may, if she views vulnerability as weak in herself, she's going to view it as weak in other people. And when you think about shows like even The Bachelorette, right, that was recently shown in Australia with Brooke Blurden and everyone was really, really obsessed with Conrad with the K and and David but mainly Conrad at the beginning because he was so, he was a, you know, tradie but he had he wore some eyeliner or something and he painted his nails and he was so emotional and so like vulnerable and everyone was just so attracted to him across Australia and even on Love Island America I'm watching right now this one guy walks into the house and they they all the girls are there at the moment with these big bro Americans that are like, you know, six packs. And this guy's got a six pack as well, but he comes in and he's talking about his struggles and he's talking about like, I'm seeking like connection and like this, these are my problems and this is the baggage I carry. And, you know, this is the struggle I went through. And they're so like, oh my God, give this man to me. It's so sexy. And they all say it's because he speaks so openly and vulnerable and he's not afraid to wear his heart on the sleeve. So I, I genuinely believe, first of all, though, women that are younger are going to shut that down much more likely because they haven't developed the emotional intelligence of seeing the benefit of a man that can open up and share that. And maybe they stick. I sometimes think that, you know, we when we're in our younger selves, we're almost in the truest, almost authentic sense of biological biologically driven decisions and perceptions like how we pick the alpha males and the guys pick the sexiest girl that kind of thing so I think that in in younger couples that can definitely be an issue but if a woman is shutting you down for opening up as you know in your 20s and later then that's a problem on her not a problem on you and it should never be discouraged and I would never I don't know a single woman that is turned off actually sorry I know one (laughs) But she's she's problematic. But I don't know any other women in my circle that are turned off by guys opening up and sharing their vulnerabilities. In fact, it's it is something that women bond through sharing stories and women will bond with men that open up to them. That's especially how it's been for me. If a man doesn't open up to me and tell me every single thing about him and I don't know anything, I feel like we've never connected. <laughs> but that's not to I don't want to not justify the experience that men themselves have said that they've gone through. So, you know, only men can talk about what they have experienced when opening up to women. And if, what if, if that's true to them, then it's true to them. And it's a lesson that women need to, to learn more about then about how, how can we support our men or friendships and lovers and fathers and family in, in being vulnerable and opening up because why get to, we, why do we get to experience that, but not men? Yeah, I wonder how much of it is, you know, it's trendy right now to to be the man that's, you know, maybe wears the nail polish and talks about his feelings. Like, I wonder (laughs) if this is going to last for a very long time. But uh, I can definitely, you know, there's a lot of attention to men who are in the public profile now who talk about their struggles. And and I think for the most part, that's a good thing because there's some guys out there who probably still need to hear that. But you know, I think uh, the pendulum is going to swing and um, yeah. there is a dark side to that where people will use, you know, their emotional excuses and their vulnerabilities as an excuse. And some people also 
just uh you know obsess over their own story too much mm, and it's like all right true. look we've all gone through some struggles you know you don't need to fetishize mm-hmm. yours to the degree that makes you s- this special little thing um yeah so yeah i wonder how i guess this relates to what we talked about in the last podcast i think for the next at least the next you know 5 years it's going to be very much uh swing in that way and yeah. I, I yeah, I really do wonder um, in ten years what will happen because it can also be a very sneaky thing men do to you know get with a get with a girl uh, and it's it's also not hard to do and what I mean by that is like all right it does it really show emotion it shows like some level of emotional intelligence to be able to say hey this was a time in my life where I was vulnerable and it hurt okay cool but mm. like it's also not that hard to do and like to be, but to then to be really stoic and masculine is like objectively very hard to do. Yeah. And it takes a lot of discipline and skill and courage. And these are ultimately really good traits. If it's done, if they manifest in a positive way, yes, there are toxic ways they can, they can come out and, and that's rightfully called out. But positive masculinity is like, I think every man should be aiming for, for that. Mm. Yeah, I think that the biggest takeaway from this last part of the conversation is that anyone in a relationship really, or even not in a relationship, really needs to learn and have the expectation that you should not be attracted or expect to be attracted to your partner or find them sexually attractive in every single scenario and situation. It's not fair to have someone open up to you and you shut that down because you don't find that sexually attractive. And just the same as it's not fair to men to criticize a woman for something because, you know, I know a guy that said he worried about, he was having doubts about the relationship because she looks so different in the mornings when she didn't have her makeup off versus you know, the evenings or during the day when she had got ready because he was so used to her seeing her made up every single day during their dates. He'd never seen her just in her relaxed state. And I was trying to say, you can't expect to be sexually attracted to a woman or a man in every single state of their being. You can be attracted sometimes and sometimes not, but we can't use that as a deterrent or or something meaningful that we need to express to them we can't shut someone down because they're crying and we don't find that sexy like it's just a little bit of common sense but i think something that a lot of people don't actually understand mm-hmm. can become overwhelming if someone's always in a state of distress though and and sort of oh yeah expecting you to to help them i, I also can that's, understand that's how it's like oh yeah. he's, he's so intense and he was just too sensitive and so i had to kind of break up with him like yeah. i can understand yeah. that perspective and yeah that's i guess different. men i like uh comforting a woman because especially if it's a girlfriend because it makes me feel like uh you know it, it does kind of make me feel like yeah i'm i'm the uh the man in this role and i'm gonna comfort her and 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 do that and and then i guess the comforter is always taking on a bit more of a masculine role um Oh, well, debatable. It's nurturing and Oh, uh, true. No, actually, gentle. you know what? That's a good point. It depends how I think you it's do more that. about having that responsibility and having like having a role is mm. really fulfilling to people. So when you have a clear scenario between an in, in an interaction where one person is this and you're going to be the comforting person, it feels good. It feels good to have a very clear defined role that you're actually fulfilling to completion. 
Mm. Yeah, and I agree. to help other people move from a place of sadness to to comfort and safety, it's always the, nice. Uh, bastardized version is the you know the guy who's just about to start a fight, and the girl's like, "No, hey, don't do it. Look, look at me. <laughs> look at me in the eyes. The, the pick me, the pick me guy. Yeah. And it's like you can't win now, can you? Because it's no. like if you are this sensitive, emotional guy, oh, you're a pick me guy, and then if you're not, you're a toxic, and it's just like fuck me. Like what are you doing? Just don't be a man. Yeah. <laughs> um, Problem The solved. pick me girl is an interesting one because uh, the the what I'm seeing now is that women are saying this is like a man's fantasy of what a girl should be. The girl who like yes, doesn't take. Yeah. A sh- shared and like skateboards or uh, whatever the fuck i don't know uh plays video games and all that sort of is chilled eats pizza um now the thing is it kind of does go in a bit don't you think it like to a certain extent it contradicts the whole ethos of uh the the progressive idea that women can be you know women don't have to be these feminine uh submissive you know, always playing with dull creatures. They can be a bit more masculine and ride skateboards and wear a backwards cap. And maybe it it just got bastardized to the point where this did become like a fantasy for men. But for a while there, there were no depictions of tomboyish women in the media. And so then when those tomboys were being depicted in the media, that was a really good thing for women who maybe did identify with a bit more masculine behavior. And it's not necessarily uh just a, a a man who wrote it and it's their fantasy because like i i think that's a fantasy for like artistic men who were probably the ones writing these films I, most men don't i don't want you know like this kind of tomboyish girl who eats well the thing and plays is video games is that the girls aren't the pick me girl is not actually a tomboy the pick me girl is someone that depicts everything a male is interested in for male attention and it came from well, it was sure. popularized from the movie Gone Girl, where she literally says, I pretended to like beer. I pretended to like um, pizza. I pretended to be interested in fucking you all the time and giving you blowjobs just so I could get you wrapped around my finger, essentially. Um, so people that perceive genuine tomboys, like, for example, Tash Sultana, the singer, and she's very androgynous, very, like, masculine, but she's got this beautiful feminine singing voice, but very, like, Mm. skater boy kind of vibe. No one would look at her and say, you're a pick-me. It's the girls that are like, oh, my God, I love beer and pizza. Like, oh, I'm his best friend. Like, you're his girlfriend. Oh, you paint your nails? (laughs) What if she actually does like beer and pizza? Okay, if she's criticizing other women, that makes sense. Okay, um, I think there's a really good example of a pick me girl video like and it's of Kendall Jenner and she's like, I love Star Wars. I'm such a nerd and I'm not like Kylie. I don't wear lipstick. I just like I'm crazy like that. I can go out barefaced. I can be wild like that. And yeah, sometimes I want to watch sport more like I'm not like other girls. Like I'm just wild. I'm so crazy like that. And it's just so self-centered. And it's the fact that it makes it a personality trait where it's like I'm so different to other girls. Other girls uh-huh. that are into girly things are, are gross or or you know, wimpy or silly. So it's the fact that they're subconsciously or or consciously putting down feminine girls in order to be more bro in with the boys. Like I don't have female friends. I only have guy friends. I see that as a red flag. (laughs) Almost guys would nowadays too as well. 
that yeah. any girl that's like, oh, just there's less drama with guy friends. It's like, yes. Well, yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, You're the drama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then I see, you know, when you talk, I haven't seen these guys that you're talking about on Love Island or whatever, but uh, when I think about a guy who's like, I wear nail polish and I talk about my feelings, I'm like, all right, bro, like you're trying to get in her pants. You know? Yeah, true. Very true. What's I, wrong it's... with not doing that? There's nothing wrong with also <laughs> being tough and liking sports. Okay. You don't have to criticize other men. If you want to yeah. be, I've got this joke I'm working on now. I'm surprised. It got so many laughs when it was like a majority <laughs> female audience. And I was like, um, now it's gone too far the other way where it's like, if you're tough and like sports, you're just, you know, you're automatically suppressing the urge to wear pink or suck a dick. And it's like, <laughs> no, okay. My truth is that I am a masculine guy who likes boxing. Yeah. I, my truth is I want to wake up at 6am and do pull-ups. Your truth is you want to cry and suck a dick and they're both valid. That's fine. <laughs> and like everyone laughed at that. And I was like, oh man, That's I got a good, good one here. That's um, good. So it's so kind of gone the other way where like I was at a, co- it's so prevalent in comedy where it's like, uh, and this comedian's really good. I like the comedian, but the audience was pissing me off so much because he'd just say things and they'd cheer. He'd be like, uh-huh. I went to therapy and people would be like, what the fuck like that's you don't have to cheer for that or like he'd say you know i questioned my gender for a while and people were like "Woo!" (laughs) he hasn't said a joke and it sucks because like i said that is men getting celebrated for the bare minimum that's what we're talking about (laughs) well i agree then because it's like all right bro you're not you're not like other guys comedy we get it like um but the fact it was like them cheering at just like this mundane stuff that yeah you know you're like good on it all right so what (laughs) if you did all that that (laughs) shouldn't be shamed sure but then like why do you have to bring down um you know this is all all these like equality movements and sort of equal uh, some of them are equal attention movements let's be honest but uh they shouldn't have to rely on bringing other you know, if you want to empower brown people or black people, you shouldn't have to bring white people down and constantly have to talk about how much you hate mm-hmm. white men. And similarly, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to bring women up, why, you don't have to constantly harp on about how men suck. And if you are this more feminine kind of man, you don't have to then constantly go yeah. on about, oh, if you're you know, you, the dumb Toxic meathead who likes sport. It's like, yeah, all right, let's do an IQ test then. Let's see who's <laughs> who's the meathead. <laughs> but but that's um yeah, a lot of these kind of equality movements, uh, yeah. if you whatever you want to call them, uh, rely on like bringing these other groups down. And and like mm. if you are that girl who likes pizza and doesn't like makeup, fine. But then why if a girl likes uh, putting on makeup and I don't know doing. <laughs> Uh, going shopping let her do that that's not that's not uh bad and dumb in any way i'm sure she's got much more of a personality than just doing her nails and going if all she ever did was do her nails and go shopping then fair enough she's probably a bit dumb but i'm sure there's more to her than that in the same way yeah there's guys who like working out and and like drinking beer with the boys and yeah that's fine but like they act like that's their entire personality and no i'm sure they like drinking beer with the boys and watching the footy but then they also 
go home and really love their girlfriends and, yeah. and maybe do yeah. art and maybe do other things. It's this sort of mm-hmm. like stereotypical view of, of someone that you feel is a threat. You can fit one box. Yeah, yeah and, and it's almost like, hey, what do you? who's the insecure one here? Like you need to project this kind of like hatred for this other yeah. stereotype. Yeah. Then, I don't know, that kind of says more about you. True that. True that. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Well said. Well said. I agree. All right. Well, uh, oh, that was a good discussion about. Uh, let me go. Take a moderate approach to, t- to toughening up. <laughs> Don't do what uh, <laughs> yeah. you know. Chi- apparently, in China and the USSR, they go so far to the point where it's like, um, it's funny how in the West, socialism and like communism is viewed as this very feminine and you know i associate you know western communist as like someone with pink hair and is androgynous and you know lazy but then in the actual well they say they're communist i don't know how you know china's obviously not very communist anymore but it's a total opposite they've like banned feminine characters on in video games and they do this nine to nine um, six days a week where they're supposed to work 9am to 9pm every day and not show weakness even uh, on a bus if you show if you look tired or something on a bus the other people will straighten you up and be like no like show toughness on the bus well, that's why the suicide <laughs> so, rates are so high exactly like, and it's yeah. just interesting how there's this different perception of this mm. political ideology in in different countries and one is really western society sees it as this very feminine and then you think about how say japan depicts consumerism and capitalism it's they've got they always think of americans as these like fat you know like loud annoying people who are eating cheeseburgers all day which is to be fair like that's probably closer to the truth than what (laughs) americans think of themselves which is like the you know the barrel chested guy with a gun with the bald Captain eagle America. flying, and it's like, no, most of you are that yeah. fat guy who just is <laughs> over-consuming everything. So, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, stereotype. It's, it's always a way to bring to to empower yourself. I guess it is human nature. We all do it. Half my comedy is that, but um, yeah, yeah, interesting, interesting. We should stuff. do a podcast one day on the pros and cons of stereotype. So. Yeah, let that sounds like yeah. a really good. All right, let's line that one up. Um, I, I think we'll conclude this one here. Uh, Happy New Year again. And uh, crushorganics.com. Use the code Neil. 40% off. Come see me in Sydney every Thursday. Melbourne, February 6th. We're coming back to Melbourne. That first show was outstanding. So we got to beat that. So come along to that show. Um, and then every month we're in Melbourne. So... Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening. Share this podcast. And we'll see you next time. See you next week.